I'm Alex Pearson. This is 640. Great to have you here with us. So we kind of talked about it on a Tuesday's show about the four <clears throat> big education unions, pardon me, that have signaled that uh, they have no contract, nowhere near an agreement with the Ford government. It's not a new tactic, certainly. Uh, education unions have uh, for a long time made a habit of leaving parents in the dark kind of as long as possible to whether or not kids will have a, a disrupted year or not. But certainly this um, fight's been brewing with the province for a while, but it's just one of a number of labor fights that have uh, been flaring up ever since the pandemic happened, and much of it, of course, over cost of living. And this is both private and, and public sector unions. I mean, we, we have the 3,700 uh, metro workers that walked out last week after rejecting advice from their union to agree to a tentative deal. And, and the member said, no, not enough. We want more. And it remains kind of a, you know, at an impasse. BC port workers just ended, but not without major concessions, including a huge lump sum payout for retirees. Uh, they managed to get no more contracting uh, workout, which is a big win. And a big raise that's going to add up to $55 more an hour by 2026. And let me tell you, the base salary for most of those workers starts at $132,000, okay? And again, they went against the advice of their union, also said, take the offer. And they said, no, we want more. So there's a shift in, in, in a power where the unions and certainly the workers say, no, we're going to stand united because we feel we can get better deals in, in these times. Let me bring in Dr. Rafael Gomez, Professor and Director of the Center for Industrial Relations and Human Relations over at the U of T. Good to have you, sir. Thank you, Alex. Glad to be here. Um, Characterize, uh, if you will, what we are seeing, um, or correct me where I'm wrong, but there Mm. seems to be a shift, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not sure how it plays out, certainly as Mm -hmm. we go into other negotiations Mm -hmm. with the big labor movements on the the public Mm -hmm. sector side, but what's your characterization of what's going on? Actually, I think you did a great job. Okay, <laughs> it's <thanks>. pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, That's all. done. The interview's, the interview's over. Yep. No. <laughs> One thing I could draw the attention to, to the listeners is about history, right? So we're kind of returning to a pattern that was uh, apparent in the 1970s, early 80s. High inflation, yep. interest rate spikes. Now, the labor movement at that time was much stronger in the private sector than in the public. It's almost been a flip. Um, since 1980s, we've seen a huge decline in private sector union membership, but a huge increase in public sector. It just kept expanding. So we have about 80% of broader public sector workers, which includes not just your civil servants, but, you know, university professors and so on, uh, ed- education, et cetera, hospitals, broader public sector, funded by the public sector, 80%, eight out of 10 workers. But in the private sector, it's now down close to 12%, like almost one in 10. But the overall rate of unionization has stayed the same because of this inversion, right? You mm-hmm. have more private sector union members, and public. In the private sector, what we've seen is over like that period when the union declined, workers didn't do as well. Like the share of like overall GDP that went to labor in the form of wages went down. Um, in the public sector, uh, with that higher unionization rate, workers did get uh, wages that were higher. But if you like control for like with like, if you take someone with the same level of education, especially at the higher end, you're kind of better off in the private sector. You actually make more as a mm-hmm kind of higher end person, but you get this trade-off, you get job security. And during times of like pretty stable, you know, prices where the inflation isn't kind of uh, rocketing, collective agreements kind of work well, three or four years, uh, you're not kind of falling behind. Uh, And what you're getting in that trade-off is that extra job security benefits, pensions that in the private sector, uh, harder to find. 
Um, but we're at a moment now with inflation where that's throwing everything out the window. Even, like you said, the unions mm-hmm. uh, who were negotiating the, on behalf of the workers thought they got good deals, but they're looking backward, right? They're looking at a two-decade time of concessions. They're making gains. They think the membership's going to buy it. They're not. You know, workers coming out of the pandemic, especially ones that were told they were essential, which sounds great, but what that means is you couldn't take vacation. <laughs> you, yeah. you were working supposedly during a pandemic that was so you know deadly that professors had to stay in their basements and, and teach, but you, a metro worker, could be on the job and you couldn't take a day off and you couldn't take vacation. That doesn't square, right? So members themselves do feel that um, emboldened to ask for more, and they see that people are quitting. People are, there's shortages, so they're not uh, uh, kind of unaware of that fact. I think the, the union leadership is catching up to their members and to their workers. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you think uh, looking back now, I mean, the grocery stores would have been so much had it so much easier if they just let that two dollars stay in place, not just on the uh, on the the you know the mar- uh, you know just the the feel good uh, yeah. of the nature of yeah. that, but also just because it would have cost them a lot less in, in losses than Absolutely. what they're making now with a strike. Having said all that, um, inflation's not going to stay high forever. Um, but we've got contracts now being negotiated like we did with the public sector workers in Ottawa, where they've negotiated, yeah. you know, working from home, you know, all these great uh, kind of things without really knowing where the, the landscape or where the picture yeah. is going to go. And so if all the unions negotiate on things that may not na- naturally be yeah. or necessarily be good for the long term, that's not <sighs> smart. That's true. That's true. But what happens in these times if you're a good negotiator on the management side, mm-hmm. you kind of give in, but then you shorten the deal length, right? So right. contracts tend to be three, four years, and that's pretty good for both sides and for kind of stability in an economy. But if you're in this period of uncertainty, what tends to happen is contract length gets shorter. Now, that's good and bad for the employers. Like, we're not going to lock in these huge wage increases. And that lump sum thing is interesting because they didn't want to put that into the base pay. Yeah. They're saying, this is temporary. We'll pay you a lump sum. Um, but that other way to do it is to shorten contract length. But that has a double-edged sword. It means one year or two years down the road, we're going to maybe be in the same position. And yeah, inflation is coming down, but it's kind of stubborn and it's holding high in areas of like core uh, necessities, right? Like food, housing, fuel. Uh, so yeah, we're in this period that, again, if we go back to our history, 40 years ago, we were in and it was a time of higher strikes. Um, the thing is now, you're not going to get as many strikes in the private sector because there's just not enough workers who are unionized there. Um, so yes, visible because they're metro workers and yeah. it's a pretty large group. Usually, you don't have 27 stores that are all negotiating at the same time, um, but because uh, usually they're one-off, mm-hmm. depending on the work site. Uh, so that's I think makes it more noticeable. Um, but these effects now will kind of become more apparent in the public sector, um, where you know for uh, a decade or more you had the global financial crisis, 1% deals, or 2% deals, or even that would have been a, a, a high watermark for some of these collective agreements in terms of wages. Uh, they've been stuck at zero too for a time. Uh, so they're playing catch up. If, if you actually look at wage growth in the non-union sector, it's faster uh, than it has been in the, in the union sector. Why? Because collective agreements get signed for three or four years. And if inflation uh, spikes in the private sector, you react much more quickly because what you see is you see more turnover, you see more people quitting, more people coming to their bosses saying, hey, I've got this other offer, do you want to match it? And that wage growth happens because the market works, right, more quickly. Collective agreement is a little slower as an institution. 
Yeah. I mean, there are risks uh, on the private side um, and not, not necessarily as good Absolutely. perks. However, well, if you get one of those top jobs, you're in great shape. Well, yeah. well, that's it, right? That's the trade-off. In the public sector, you have this job security, which means that you, you would trade off some of the wage gains you could get in the private sector. And that kind of top end of being a high performer, you're kind of allowed that in the private sector if you're not unionized. Public sector, you know, that's a part of a collective agreement is you give up that top end. Um, and the trade-off is some more job security, traditionally, anyway. Yeah, traditionally. Well, not traditional times, so we'll wait and see no. what happens. Uh, lots of movement. I appreciate you uh, breaking it down. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much. We'll have you again. That's uh, Dr. Rafael Gomez over at the U of T. And again, there's lots of um, um, activity and volatility in this particular area uh, of labor. And um, we'll see what happens. Could get very costly for the taxpayers, no question about it. Certainly for the education unions.